You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And guess what, folks? We're almost there. We're almost to Christmas. Am I even allowed to say Christmas? Am I allowed to say that? Because as far as I know, for the past number of years, we've had the war on Christmas. So should I say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays? Have a wonderful Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, and to those that worship the flying spaghetti monster, kudos, congratulations to you. I'm not even really sure what to say anymore because we're just under assault as Christians. Oh no, from every angle, we're under assault for the war on Christmas. What is one to do? Besides really shut the hell up about the war on Christmas, it doesn't exist. Has anyone been out and about during this holiday season? Like, do we not realize that somehow the Walmarts and malls of this world turn into a winter Christmas wonderland? Uh, what, around Thanksgiving? It, yeah, I think it's Thanksgiving. So, yeah, the war on Christmas. And I know, I know, I know, maybe I'm stealing thunder from our orange messiah of a president who has ushered in this new era where it's okay to say Merry Christmas again because that's never stopped being a thing. It's never stopped being a thing. So, yeah. So we can leave all this weird war on Christmas stuff to the just the weird trolls and Christian right on social media because guess what? Christmas is happening. Christmas is still here and yeah, I don't really don't know what else to say on that but I do have someone else that wants to say something about that. And it's way more, well, I would guess I would say it's way less snarky and way more nuanced than I could have said. Yeah, so let's listen to this. And this comes from Kevin O'Brien, the Dean of the Jesuit School of Theology at Santa Clara University. And he did a piece, it was online, um, an opinion piece uh, for Mike. And this is what he had to say, and it captures everything way more eloquently than I could. I don't think Jesus would care much about whether we say Merry Christmas. I don't like the concept of a war on Christmas. War on Christmas. The war on Christmas. This debate over whether we say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whether we have a Christmas party or holiday party, that debate sometimes can be a distraction. It's the December debate, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. Which do you say? And why? I don't think Jesus would care much about whether we say Merry Christmas or not, because he was not concerned about promoting himself, but promoting what he called the reign of God, this reign, this community of justice, peace, and love. That to him was more important than any title for himself. Secondly, more important than just saying Merry Christmas is to live it. That is to live as Jesus did, to live a life of simplicity, 
a life of generosity, a life of service, a life of welcome and hospitality to others. And that's the conversation we should be having. It should not be about litmus tests, about whether I say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. To me, that's an easy way out to prove your Christianity. And lastly, we have to be careful about the language we use in a pluralistic society like ourselves, because in it, we encounter people of different faith traditions. Pope Francis will often speak about a culture of encounter, not confrontation. And this means listening to people and respecting people who are different than us. We listen to them not just simply to be nice, but to learn. He also said, whenever we encounter another person in love, we learn something new about God. Now, Christians, like any people of faith, need to defend their right to practice their faith in our, in our society. But it's just not about promoting or protecting Christians. If I'm to be called Christian or a good citizen, I need to, need to be as protective of the rights of Muslims, for instance, in this country to practice their faith. I need to be as vigilant to protect their rights and their communities as I do my Christian community. So to everyone this year, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, peace to all. So I'm not quite sure if that will totally diffuse the war on Christmas because, you know, we have such a large listenership here at Snarky Faith because when I say things, it goes. Like, it is the rule of law here. But in our own small world, in our own small place, in our own small snarkiverse, uh, it's my hope that we can continue to kind of reframe the conversation away from these insane people. I'm trying to be nice, being in the Christmas spirit and being a little less bah humbug. But you know what? You know what? You've heard me say this before for years on the show that there really is no war on Christmas. But guess what? There is a war on. There is a war on words from the president that is so great with words. He knows so many words. And as long as his dentures stay in, he can continue to say his very small kindergarten level vocabulary of words. But, 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 there are certain words that our president is very much against. Yes, especially if you are working for the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, because the Trump administration has banned seven words. This is not like George Carlin, like the seven dirty words you can't use. No, no, no. These are the seven words that for some reason this administration is terrified and afraid of because uh, real news is scarier than fake news? I'm not really even sure where he's going with this, but uh, let me go ahead and give you these. Yes, this is real. Yes, this is true that the CDC has been banned, banned, not suggested, banned from using these seven words in any documents that the agency prepares. It's all reported from by the Washington Post. So they are not allowed to use the words fetus, transgender, diversity, science-based, vulnerable, entitlement, and evidence-based. I mean, seriously, from a president who loves words like bigly and other ridiculous words that aren't real, um, yeah, yeah, this is kind of frightening. Like, we're moving towards, like, McCarthy-era, like, 
like Nazi era stuff where they're actually clamping down on words that science, the scientific community, the CDC, like can't use. This isn't like Fox news. Like I would love for us to be able to clamp down on words that Fox news uses words like deep state, things like that. Yeah. That would make sense. You're just like, Oh my gosh, you're just blowing hot air up my butt. Like really? No, no, no. But this, a group, an agency that uses things like science to be able to look into, let's even look into the name, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So we're not allowed to use words like vulnerable, entitlement, evidence-based, science-based? What? Like I can understand the whole mind of Trump's religious right saying, oh, we can't use the words like fetus because we need to use like, what is it like half form babyhood um, or transgender because it's bad. It's bad. We're terrified of that. But really you're having a science based organization, not be able to use the words science based. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the America we're living in. And oh, sweet Lord, baby Jesus, can we not get to the end of 2017 soon enough? Like, I want this to be kind of like one of those things where you wake up from a hangover. Like, this is going to be like, literally, it's going to be New Year's Day 2018 and 2017 is going to feel like a horrible hangover. I mean, you may be really waking up from a legit hangover. But I think as we kind of enter into 2018, we're just like, oh, my gosh, please, please, Robert Mueller, can you give us something to take the hair off the dog? Seriously, what happened in 2017? Don't want to fully go into that. It would probably end up with me crying and drinking and then crying and drinking some more. But really, are we really in an era where we're banning the government is banning certain words from being used by certain agencies? This, this, this is the scary thing. Screw the war on Christmas. Let's talk about the war on words. That is terrifying. That is frightening. That is the place where we find ourselves in, at least for like what, like another two and a half weeks. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, get us out of 2017 without any more insanity. Is that too much to ask? Is that my Christmas present? Because, you know, for all of you that have been asking me, sending me countless numbers of emails, Stuart, what can we get you for Christmas? Really, really, I'll make it very simple. Just get me the hell out of 2017 so we can start new and really let's not rinse and repeat the same things that have happened this past year. I mean, I'm really hoping Robert Mueller is going to fill my stocking with delightful subpoenas. Not really to me. I mean, he can subpoena me all he want. I would love to, to go hang out with Robert Mueller. And I could probably answer questions just as convincing as Jeff Sessions. Well, I don't know. I don't recall. I wasn't even there. I mean, when I actually would say that it'd be truthful because I really have nothing to do with this. Or at least that's what I'm telling you. But oh my gosh, I know the rest of you are feeling this way. I know the rest of you are saying, we've got hope. Because what? I mean, numerically, this has been an odd year, right? 2017, odd year. Get it? See what I'm going with? So hopefully 18, 2018 will even us out. Maybe, 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 maybe that's wishful thinking. Maybe that's me just being too hopeful. Because that's what you expect from a show called Snarky Faith, is the host to be 
ridiculously optimistic and hopeful. Maybe that's uh that maybe that's kind of a spiritual discipline I'll try to take in 2018. But also at the same time, it may just be like a New Year's resolution, something that I come up with and tell everyone I'm gonna do and then give it like five days and I'm on to something else. That's right. I'm on to something else. But hopefully not. Let's be hopeful. Let's let's keep those fingers crossed. Let's do a couple Hail Marys and say, hey, hopefully we will get there. Because right now Christmas doesn't feel like Christmas and it's not because of the war on Christmas. It's because of the war on sanity that we are dealing with right now in this country. All thanks to Trumpy boy. So three cheers to you, Trump, for teaching me how to drink again. Make, make America drink again. Is that kind of what's happened? I'm pretty sure there's probably been a boom in the alcohol industry all because of this year. So maybe, you know, silver lining. It's stimulated the economy and probably overstimulated most of our livers. But I digress. So let's hop into some of this. Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of do a little bit of wiggle-wagging, zigzagging, really kind of running through the ropes course on a couple different ideas. We kind of need to do, first of all, a little bit of postmortem on Roy Moore. Now, I talked about in the last episode that I was hopeful that Roy Moore, the cowboy pedophile, would not get elected. And guess what, Alabama? You did it! Yay! Applause for Alabama, kind of. Because he didn't win, but it was still pretty damn close. And I know everyone's cheering for the fact that he's not in, but you kind of got to take a step back and go, really? Like, how is it still that close? I understand this is a historically red state, and... But still, really? Like, really? Really? Well, let's talk about that. Let's kind of have our postmortem on Roy Moore. And we're going to talk through, it's a Washington Post article called A Spiritual Battle, colon, How Roy Moore Tested White Evangelical uh, Allegiance to the Republican Party by Sarah Bailey. So let's go ahead and begin to talk through that because we can see when you begin to look at Roy Moore, Roy Moore is, is, it's like a photocopy of kind of how Trump won. I mean, how Roy Moore lost. Uh, but his whole, like, the way Roy Moore was running his campaign uh, is really kind of a carbon copy. Well, it's kind of like a copy of a copy of a copy um, of really how Trump won. I mean, both sexual predators, check. Both making ridiculous, gonzo, bonkers statements that in any normal universe would make sure a person never gets elected. Uh, but guess what? We are not living in a normal universe. We are fully entrenched. Our feet are firm on the ground in the bizarro world. And Roy Moore rallying his evangelical base, his evangelical base that somehow was fine with an accused pedophile, an accused pedophile. I mean, when we look back, when we look back onto the Trump election, you can say, I mean, one, scumbag, two, moron, three, idiot, four, talk out his ass, 
sexual predator, bad businessman, not great with words. Uh, that guy, that guy won, really? I don't know. I know the conservatives, all the conservatives that listen to my show, all of probably none of you are saying, uh-huh, keep crying, Snowflake. Keep it crying because we're still in office. I fully well understand that. Uh, but what I want to do is really begin to kind of dive into and dissect uh, how and why this continues to be a thing within conservative evangelicals. Because this isn't normal. This shouldn't be normal. Um, the fact, like we'd even talked about earlier, that now we're banning words, we're banning facts, we're banning reality. I mean, where are we now? Beside the bizarro world. But wait, if we were in the bizarro world, would that actually make Trump good and sane and reasonable? And would that make mean that Trump doesn't do speeches where his dentures are falling out? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I think my metaphor has finally broken down here. Where's an allegory? Not really quite sure. I get those mixed up all the time because I'm so good with words too. Oh, wow. So yeah, let's go ahead and hop into that. But a quick side note before we get to that, and I know, I know, the ADD is strong with this one today. Um, if anybody wants really a gift for Christmas, this is more like a stocking stuffer that I'm not even going to play on here because... A, it's way too long, but I really just want you to have a gift to unwrap right now. So, you guys remember Alex Jones? You know, the crazy guy on InfoWars. I'm a man! I've got blood pumping through my veins! You know, that great, you know, that guy that looks like he's going to have a heart attack at any moment. Just go ahead and Google Alex Jones Alexa. Alexa talking to the Amazon little home device that people talk to, where Alex Jones decides to uh, have a little inquisition of Alexa because he believes the Amazon device is a listening device for the CIA. And it, as you can imagine, doesn't go so well, especially when you have a lunatic arguing with an inanimate object I mean, it's not completely inanimate, but it essentially is. Uh, so yeah, Christmas just came early for you. Google that sucker, and you'll thank me later. Or you may not, because you may just say, oh my gosh, Stuart, I just got dumber by listening to this. Uh, but if you want a good laugh, go for it. So back to this, back to the Washington Post article, uh, the postmortem about Roy Moore. So how they begin this, and they, they ask this question, and I feel like it is, it is an essential question to ask. Um, when you begin to talk about Roy Moore's run for the Alabama Senate, um, they ask this question. Um, in the they in the situation they're speaking of is the white evangelical voters and their uh, unhealthy allegiance, their blind allegiance to the Republican Party. You know, the white evangelicals that are supposed to have an allegiance to Jesus? But, you know, we all know... If you've read your Bible, Jesus is totally Republican. He's totally white. Um, you know, that that kind of thing? Yeah, they're, they're blind, ridiculous, insane allegiance to the Republican Party. So they ask this question um, of the evangelicals. You know, would they vote for a candidate who shares their conservative views on social issues even though, even though 
He was accused of sexual misconduct by multiple women. End question mark. I would add to that statement. If his sexual uh, uh, accused sexual misconduct by multiple underage women, or maybe even a better word would be girls. Because we know at least one of them was 14 at the time. So how do you mix being a creeper, being a pedophile, being a grown man who dresses like a cowboy and doesn't know how to ride a horse but still shows up to the polls on a horse? Which, best joke, best joke I heard from the whole Roy Moore thing was, why was Roy Moore? Riding a horse to the polls. Well, we all know that uh, prepubescent girls love horses. That's why he did it. <laughs> and his horse's name was Sassy. <laughs> you can't make this up. But let me go ahead and continue to quote this article. So uh, they were saying exit polls suggest that they did just that, meaning that uh, evangelicals, white evangelicals, supported Roy Moore irregardless of all of the claims against him. Exit polls suggest they did just that, with 80% of white evangelicals who voted selecting more in the last Tuesday's special edition, uh, which was narrowly won by Doug Jones, the Democratic candidate. So you got that, right? 80%. And I know, I know, I know, you'll say, but that's Alabama, Stuart. In Alabama, they do things differently. In Alabama, it's okay to marry your cousin. And guess what? I understand. I've grown up in the South. I've had people my whole life try to tell me I'm not from the South because I somehow grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta and I don't have much or any of an accent, or at least a Southern accent by that matter. I have literally, literally in my hometown been called a Yankee by waitresses. I've had waitresses tell me this. Ah, you wouldn't understand. You're you're a Yankee. Excuse me? Excuse me? I was born about 15 minutes from here. Okay, so this is not about me and my accent. This is about me at least understanding the South. I've, I've spent a good bit of my formative years in the South, growing up around Atlanta, living a few years in Kentucky, then finishing out puberty in Atlanta, going to college in Atlanta, working in Atlanta, and... Even though I did have a slight little escapade to the West Coast for about nine to ten years. But if you're listening to this radio station, that happens to be in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You would know that I'm still in the South here. So I'm living in the South. I understand the South. I have been in and around the South most of my adult life for guess what? I know, I know you're going to you're going to say, "Stuart, I've seen you. There's no way." But yes, I'm 40 years old. Oh, tear. No one celebrated my birthday here on the radio show because I didn't tell anybody it was my birthday. But yes, so let's go ahead and say 30 of my 40 years I've been entrenched in the South. So, um even though it's easy to blame Alabama for being uh backwards hillbilly, and most of those are justified. But still, but still, we're living in 2017, the year that sucks. But 2017, we have a thing called the internet, and we also have a thing called uh, TV. And so that whole thing may have worked. That excuse 
that they just don't they just don't know better. It's just the South. They don't know better. That would have worked uh, maybe 20 years ago. But now, no, 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 you don't give a pass. And we begin to look at this. We look through this whole campaign strategy of, of Moore and Steve Bannon, the human, the human with hair that can apparently self-pleasure himself uh, at any given notice. Thanks, Steve Scaramucci. Um, but... Roy Moore's campaign strategy, much like Trump's, was to appeal to Christian nationalism. And what is Christian nationalism? Well, they tell us in this article here. It's a belief that God has unique, a uniquely Christian purpose for the United States. We were a nation founded on Christian principles. We're God's shining light to the rest of the world. The light ain't shining right now. I mean, it's kind of like that house. You you know this. Like, I had this. I had this growing up. Um, there were these folks in the neighborhood, in the suburbs of Atlanta that I grew up in. They were not necessarily the highest, uh, the highly looked upon folks because they were the people that had Christmas lights up all year round. You know those people? Um, but what happens when you have Christmas lights up all year round is they start to kind of go out because they weather. And if Christianity vis-a-vis -vis like Moore's campaign strategy, that uh, Christianity is this bright, shining thing for the world to see, to see Jesus, to see people that have Christian values that still hook up with underage girls, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's just, it's just, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, holding back words I can't say on the air. But we have this, this idea of Christian nationalism that politicians are running with. Now, politicians can run with it all day. It doesn't mean that Christians have to follow it, but oh, do they follow it. And hopping back to the article, so they quote saying here, Andrew Whitehead, a sociologist from Clemson University in South Carolina who studies Christian nationalism, said evangelicals are the religious group most likely to identify with Christian nationalism. Um, and Alabama has one of the highest percentages of white evangelicals. And he said more than half of Southerners identify with a Christian nationalist narrative. It's true. It's true. I know it. I know people I'm related to that uh, adhere to that narrative. I know people that I'm not related to that I live around that adhere to that narrative. And that narrative continues to be the hit that keeps on coming out for them. And we begin to see that. We see Roy Moore, the guy that wanted, the guy that wanted, needed, and put into place the Ten Commandments in an Alabama courthouse outside. We needed a monument to this. We needed a monument to this. And I will give you just a slight aside on this because this kind of came through an angry conversation I had with my wife. I was not angry at my wife. Uh, my wife is a wonderful woman that also allows me to vent, to let steam off as I talk about this Christian insanity that is going on here. But the funny thing about Roy Moore Roy Moore, Roy Moore, Roy Moore, the guy that was pushing having Ten Commandments monuments up, the guy that lost his job over that and then got his job back again. Roy Moore, 
let's just break this down very quickly. I could actually devote a whole show to breaking down the Ten Commandments, but let's go ahead and do this. So we have the Ten Commandments. So first ones uh, where you're supposed to honor honor God, uh, not have other idols, et cetera, et cetera. See, those, those, why are they in there? Why are they in there? So those are in there essentially to make sure that you're not a total jerk, meaning that um, in the Judeo-Christian worldview, um, if God is God and you as humans are not, um, it's our job to be, really be able to take on kind of the lens of how God sees the universe. And so if God tells us, hey, you were supposed to care for those that are in need. Oh, you're supposed to help those that are being marginalized. Oh, oh, and you're supposed to really, you know, reach out to those in your community that are in need of help um, and not be a jerk about it. So when you begin to put God in his proper place and you put you in your proper place, it really gives you no room to go around and be an ass. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments really go through like don't murder, uh, don't steal, uh, don't covet, uh, don't commit adultery, and, and yada, yada, yada. When we talk through those, those are also about not being a jerk. And so really when you read the Ten Commandments, those should be rules about not being a creepy jerk. But the weird thing is, if you think about it, if you think about it, think about all the people in your lives that have really cared dramatically about the Ten Commandments. Like, they need to be in the schools, they need to be in the courthouses, they need to be here, 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 here. Those people seem to be the biggest jerks that I've ever met. Meaning, they're the people that miss the point of the entire Ten Commandments on a regular basis. And yet they're the people that want to push the Ten Commandments on everybody else. Why is that? Well, I mean, probably because, I mean, my honest answer on this one, and I will not be snarky on this, is that when you begin to talk about white conservative evangelical voters, um, one tradition in the history of like Christian traditions uh, that, that gets lost very quickly is the whole exercise of contemplation. See, contemplation leads us to reflect about our lives, reflect about us, reflect about our actions. Um, and when you don't contemplate these things, <laughs> you might as well dress like a cowboy and ride a horse to the polls because that would happen. That's what happens. And so again, Roy Moore, Steve Bannon, all these guys turned this into a culture war. They, they turn this into a culture war. And the only reason that Roy Moore before this point, before this point, had even risen to any kind of national attention was because he, amongst many others, have been beating that drum that Christianity, boom, 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 is under attack. I mean, if you really want to do this, if you really want to have a, like a drum beat, it should be more like like it's a really a bad porno because that's kind of like the narrative that's going on here because has anyone watched a porno that had like, oh my gosh, I just watch porn for the narratives. I, I love a good story. Yeah, that's kind of the logic that's going on here. And Roy Moore, the guy that has been championing, saying that we, sh um, we as in America, should be governed by biblical law because he's afraid of Sharia law and etc. So again, we are kind of dipping our feet back into the waters of xenophobia, homophobia, 
I, many other phobias that we could throw in there. And yeah. So let's then circle back to this whole Christian agenda. And I'll give you the words of Roy Moore, which I think sums up a lot of this. He had said this. This is uh, back in no uh, back in November, and an email he sent to his supporters, and he says, "I believe our nation is at a crossroads right now, both spiritually and politically. So I refuse to cower and bow to political correctness." And he went on to say, "The forces of evil will lie, cheat, and steal, even inflict physical harm." If they believe, it will silence and shut up Christian conservatives like you and me. But it's really kind of weird when you begin to talk about the forces of evil and you also have this dude that has all these sexual allegations against him, some of those being for underage women. So really, like, mm, Roy, I don't know if you've really earned the right to call stuff evil anymore when... You've been banned by malls because people in your community knew that. They've even had stories where police officers were told to just keep an eye on Roy during high school football games and make sure he stays away from cheerleaders. Mm, that kind of sounds a little evil. That kind of sounds like a little dirty. But when you look at this, you can tell me, oh, sorry, not me. You can tell them, these voters, all you want. But the idea of voting Democrat is a no-go. It's a no-no. You do not do this. He's a pedophile? Well, maybe. But at least he's not a Democrat. And we begin to see this. And I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me talk about this. But this is one of my beefs. This is one of my reasons that I even have this show. It's the fact that all of this, all of this sickness, gets somehow thrown under the label of Christianity. I mean, I could go around saying that I'm an all-star quarterback. I could do that. Like, if I keep saying it, doesn't make it real. I could even say that I'm Aaron Rodgers because many people make fun of me saying, hey, you kind of look like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers can throw a football a mile long and makes a ton more money than me. So kudos to you, Aaron Rodgers. Way to get back into the game after you're breaking your collarbone. But my point is, just because you say you're something doesn't mean you're something. Trump can say he's a successful businessman, Look at his record. Just because he says it doesn't mean it's true. And like we even talked earlier about the war on words. And we've seen this coming out from the White House with like Sarah Sanders Suckabee and, and how she continues to just spin lie after lie after lie. Like as long as you just keep saying it and you believe it enough, it's true. Because I think a lot of Christians think that's how faith works. Like if you say a lie enough, and you believe it enough, it's true. But if you compare that to reality, I mean, in the best case, I would call you delusional. In the worst case, I would call you insane. In a worser case, I would call you Roy Moore. 
But let's begin to kind of look through even just like what, what happened in this election. So we see um, the evangelical turnout, which is 44% of the vote in the election, was a little bit below um, the past couple of elections we've had there. But you begin to see this. And this is the hope that, that I love this in the article. Said this early exit polls um, analysis suggests bigger election shifts amongst white voters with college degrees and swings amongst all voters supporting Jones more than the past Democrats. So here is what I'm trying to say here is I think there's hope. Like I can sit here and tear stuff down and talk about how stupid a bunch of these rubes are for continuing to say that Jesus supports a pedophile, which is ridiculous. Um, but things are changing. In the midst of, as I even began the whole show talking about how I just want to escape 2017 as much as possible, there have been many great things I've seen in 2017. Um, I've seen this resurgence for political action. I've seen small rays of light beginning to happen in the midst of this. And then my last one is Robert Mueller. It's too early right now, but will you be my Valentine? Yeah. So what we're beginning to see here, we're beginning to see this. What I'm hopeful, what I'm hopeful, this is my Christmas gift that I'm hopeful about, is that there is sanity leaking in in the midst of all this craziness. We, this has been a year we've had Charlottesville happen. We've had mass shootings happen. Had Trump happen. But I am beginning to see a more engaged America. Now, I'm not saying all of America. I mean, I feel like there's a regression, but there is a movement to being more dialed in, aware, awake, and engaged. And my only hope is that people that would call themselves Christians can begin to wake up from this drunken stupor of being drunk on political power. Because politics and theology do not mix. Sadly enough, <laughs> morality and politics don't mix. We've seen that. And morality and business don't mix too, as we've seen from all these scandals that have been coming out. But my hope here, my hope here, is that there is something, is that, that there are cracks in the white, conservative, evangelical base. Because over time, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I believe in Jesus. I follow after the teachings of Jesus, but I vote 180 degrees different than anything Jesus would put his name on or be a part of or preach about. I think that we're seeing a falling away of the old guard. Because as the, this article here from the Washington Post would say this, and this is the old guard very much, and they say this towards the end of the article. They said, during the campaign, James Dobson, the founder of, the, uh, of a major ministry called Focus of the Family, <laughs> sorry, um, just had to do that. That was not in the article. Uh, Focus on the Family recorded a radio advertisement um, saying that he was, quote, dismayed and troubled by how Moore and his wife have been attacked by the Washington establishment. 
And they go on to say, but the popular Texas-based Bible teacher, Beth Moore, appeared uh, to tweet about the role of evangelicals in politics on the eve of the election, saying, the lust for power is nauseating. And that's no small thing between those two. James Dobson, cash cow, much like Franklin Graham. Um, he's got, he's got a narrative. He's got to continue to push it just like Hannity does. Even, you know, if, if you find out Hannity's wrong, it, for him to ever admit that he was wrong makes no sense because that's not good for business. But even the fact Beth Moore, Beth Moore has been a, uh, Bible teacher is generous. Uh, she cranks out lots of Bible materials, uh, Bible study materials, but even the fact that she is making a comment about the role of evangelicals in politics. And she's a total lifeway hack. That even her saying, the lust for power is nauseating, gives me a small glimmer of hope that even through all of this Trump insanity, because there would be no Roy Moore if it wasn't for Trump. Because remember, Roy Moore's campaign was a carbon copy, a very bad one, of what President, well, actually, you're comparing too bad, so I feel like I'm in a double negative scenario here. But he was a carbon copy of what Trump did and how Trump wooed evangelicals. And the fact that you have a major evangelical mouthpiece saying the lust for power is nauseating is a small glimmer of hope for sanity, for Christianity in America. And on that note, what I want to do is jump into our last topic that we're going to talk through here is, guess what? Religion and power. <laughs> that worked out so well, especially when we begin to talk about Christmas. So I say all that to say all this. And this is going to come. This is, this is a great commentary. I've been holding to find a place to talk about for the past couple of weeks. And this comes from an article from uh, Sojourners.net, and it's called Religion and Power Were Intertwined, and then Jesus Changed It All. And when we begin to talk about the religious rights, desire, lust, thirst for power, we arrive at Christmas. We arrive at Christmas a simple story about where God chose to enter the world. But he chose to enter the world in a place and a posture of smallness, in a place of poverty, in a place of meekness. And this article by Joe K, Joe K. starts off with this. He says, each of us must choose our kingdom. Jesus talked about a kingdom as much as anything else. He was born in the realm of Caesar, a place run by the empire's values of violence, dominance, supremacy, wealth, privilege, and self-interest. Life was cheap, and economic justice was rampant. Now, when I read those words, I'm shocked by the fact of like, wait, 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 wait a second. Hold a second. Isn't that now? Right? Because we're about to get 
a huge tax cut for the wealthy. We've seen net neutrality go bye-bye. Uh, do we live in an empire that values violence, dominance, supremacy, wealth, privilege, and self-interest? I think we do. Oh, by golly. We can see parallels in history. This is fascinating. It's probably more fascinating that humankind has not actually learned from this. Uh, and we're still hearkening back to the time of Jesus and saying, yeah, it's pretty much just like today. Which is why when we talk about conservative Christians and their thirst for power, that is completely antithetical towards the person, the character, and the teachings of Jesus. Now, we have a president that many conservatives continue to stand behind. That many Christians say, he's our man. He's the one that God has put in office. Hell, Roy Moore hasn't conceded yet because he said, God hasn't told me so. We have a president that is an absolute narcissist. He's many other things, but let's just focus on narcissism. Every building he builds has his name on it. It's covered in gold. I mean, fake gold, because that's his empire. He's very much like a dumb, moronic version of Caesar of our times. He embodies the worst of us. And maybe that's a silver lining to Trump, is that, you know, uh, the worst of who we are as a people, as a nation. You need to look no further to the Oval Office. But when we begin to look at this, this is a time very similar to ours, where Jesus enters history. And very similarly, Caesar had his supporters saying that he, Caesar, was the son of of God. And they praised him for his agendas. Because why? Because humankind praises things like wealth, power, privilege. I'm not quite sure if Caesar had an Eric. But still, the similarities are very, are very striking. And also, when we begin to look at Rome, religion was very well intertwined with politics and power. Then you have Jesus come onto the scene, born in the midst of Caesar's empire. But Jesus begins not as a baby, but as he begins to get older and, and step into ministry and preaching and calling for a different way to live, he begins to speak about this idea of the kingdom of God. And I love how the author puts it. He says, uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God isn't a future event. It's already in our midst. God's kingdom is a place of unlimited love, unending compassion. It's a place where everyone is welcome, especially the marginalized, and no one is treated like an outcast. So when I say words like that, I'm just going to say that again. God's kingdom is a place of unlimited love and unending compassion, a place where everyone is welcome, especially the marginalized, and no one is treated like an outcast. 
So when you hear things like that, compare that to the Christians in America. Compare that towards the religious right. It doesn't gel. It doesn't make sense. And I know you've heard me say this before, but it's like you keep saying the word Jesus, religious right, but you don't mean Jesus. You're just using him. And around the time of Christmas, this is a question that I think is essential. No, I don't think we need to necessarily go to Advent events and hear the story of Jesus for the thousandth time or go to live nativity scenes where we can see people dressed up as Mary and Joseph and there's a plastic baby Jesus and they may have sheep and camels and whatever. No. This season is simply about asking this question. Which empire, which kingdom do you choose? And that is an essential question for Christians. And as much as I hate all of the Christmasness that goes on this season, because I feel like it's empty, I feel like it's hollow, I feel like it's something we just do because it makes us feel good or it makes us feel like we're in the holiday spirit. I feel Christmas. But how can we feel Christmas? We are a nation where we live in a kingdom that values power, greed, wealth, privilege, self-interest. How can we feel comfortable when our faith, the leaders of our faith, the institutions of our faith, value power, greed, wealth, privilege, self-interest? And we have to ask ourselves, like the author does in this, in this article here, which, what do we choose? See, I think Christmas is a reminder of what do we choose? Do you want God's kingdom? Or do you want the kingdom that you find yourself in that is corrupt, that doesn't care about the least of these that are in our midst? And I know questions like this, people like to say, oh, that's good to think about. No, 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 no. I'm actually like, this is like those line in the sand moments. And I think that's why Christmas should matter. We see this, that, that God would enter the earth a in the form of a child and into a place of poverty into a place of dirt and smells and simplicity a place that there is no platform or privilege see i think christmas reminds us to be humble but Christmas tells us, man, you can't choose. You can't have it both. You can't have a Christian America because America is not about the same values that Jesus called his followers to be about. You just can't have it both ways. And we want that. And the funny thing is when you try to have it both ways, you know what happens is you really have nothing. The author continues on saying that Jesus said the kingdom of God isn't a future event. It's already in our midst. We're invited to become part of it at this very moment. The interest of God's kingdom isn't religious rules or doctrines. Our hearts are the door. We enter and en enact God's kingdom through love and love alone. See, the kingdom of God only lives through our actions in this. 
Who are we? Are we good neighbors? Are we good citizens? Are we good people? See, for us to live out Christmas means that we put ourselves aside, which is kind of funny because Christmas is really not about that, like American Christmas. And for the religious right to be able to embrace Christmas for what it means would be for them to give up the thing they love most is power. Because when you look at a baby in a manger that's helpless, defenseless, um, and born into poverty, that doesn't scream power to me. That doesn't scream privilege to me. That doesn't scream, we're the greatest nation in America. My gift that I want this Christmas is for me and for you to continually remember this. There's two kingdoms that are going on here. And as much as the religious right, as much as the evangelicals want to tell you that we are an American nation, founded on American principles, you can't have it both ways. You can't. You can't. So yes, I will leave you on a somber but hopeful note. And I will just read to you the final words of Joe Kay's commentary here. He says this, At times it feels like Caesar's kingdom is invincible and will have the final say. That's not true at all. Good Friday is followed by Easter morning. In these moments, when we have trouble recognizing God's kingdom in our world and our lives, Jesus says, look a little closer, love a little stronger, believe a little deeper. It's right here. You are invited to enter this place of life, love, and healing right now. And that is what Christmas reminds us of. Thank you so much for listening to us this past hour here on the show. If you want to find out more, you can look up www.snarkyfaith.com uh, for past shows. Also, if you want to reach out, send me messages, questions at snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you don't hear from me before Christmas or the holidays, even though we'll be on on Christmas, have a wonderful happy holidays, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah. And for those that worship the flying spaghetti monster, kudos to you as well, too. So grace and peace be with you. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. <laughs>